this week's edition of the Business of Sports special guest, former NFLPA president, thoughtful guy, I like talking to a lot, Dominic Foxworth. We talk about the union, the bargaining, Colin Kaepernick's situation, his feelings about that, which are very insightful. Before we get to him, a word from DraftKings. You know football's back, and DraftKings is the destination for one-week fantasy football. You play when you want, with the players you want, no season-long commitments, and you can follow your results in real time. So go to DraftKings.com now. Use code BRANT, my name, all caps, B-R-A-N-D-T. You play for free in this weekend's $100,000 fantasy contest. Again, no deposit required. Use promo code BRANT, play for free. $100,000 this weekend, only at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. Eligibility restrictions may apply. See website for details. Contracts, salary caps. Why do our favorite teams make some of the moves they do? It's usually the money. It's time for the business of sports with Andrew Brandt. Welcome to the business of sports. This week's guest, someone I've been come pretty close with, and someone I admire for his experience in running the union, working with two unions, now working at ESPN, the undefeated, and someone I'm on TV a lot with and enjoy being on with. Dominique Foxworth, welcome to the program. Welcome, my friend. I'm happy to be here. Happy to finally be able to get on here with you. Yeah, we'll make this a regular thing. Your experience uh, as a player and working with the union, before you took the leadership role of the union, you know, what were your thoughts about becoming involved? I've talked to different players about different feelings about being involved with the union. You obviously took a strong role, and some players don't. Prior prior to being in the NFL or even being really involved in the union, I didn't have any thoughts of the union. When you grow up, you dream about being in the NFL, not being in the NFL Players Association. But then when you get into the NFL, you start to realize that the the dream that you had is only possible because of sacrifices made by people uh, prior to you who were a part of a group, a strong group and a union. And so that, that was really part of the impetus for me. The other thing was I, I got to Denver and Rod Smith, the great receiver was there and he was kind of our union rep. And uh, he pulled me aside after a few uh, months on the team and said that you're going to be the alternate. I didn't have any any say so because Rod <laughs> was a team leader and he saw something in me and I really appreciated it. It led to a, a lot of other things, which I, I doubt that I'd be here. I doubt that I'd have gone on to business school and so many cool things that have happened in my life. I think I can be directly attributed to my union uh, participation. Did you have any hesitation and it's a great story that Rod, you didn't really have a choice with him. <laughs> Did you have any hesitation about what it would mean with your employment status, not necessarily uh, directly, but subtly down the road? And any fears of that? Any thoughts of that? Yeah. Um, it, it was it was there. It was uh, something that was talked about. But I guess I always felt like if you could play, then uh, at this stage nothing will be more important than uh, your performance on the field. And and when somebody like Rod says that it's okay and it's something that you should do and it's something that's important, then there, there's no time to think about anything like that. And, of course, I mean, I joke around saying Rod forced me to do it. Like I, 
I was an adult then and I'm an adult now. I could have said no, but I, mm-hmm. I respected him enough to know that it was something important. And if there was sacrifices, which some sacrifices had to be made through the course of my career, if some sacrifices had to be made, then those were things, I mean, they're a small price to pay considering um, what uh, other people have done for us. How did you go from being an alternate sort of all the way up the ladder with the union to being right. president of the union and then getting involved in negotiations? Yeah, so my, um, I was an alternate the first time, and then uh, the second year I went down to the to the meetings. Uh, a lot of people kind of graduated off and retired and left the executive committee, and so we had to fill uh, a bunch of roles, and um, I was nominated. I don't remember who nominated me, but we had to fill, like, four or five, maybe even six roles of the 10 on the executive committee. And so I was nominated and I, I was not elected until we got to the final, the final ballot. And we all had an opportunity to, to, to give like a short 10 minute speech and why we should be, uh, um, the final member of the executive committee. And, and I just looked at the, people that were up there and I at this point I was a backup cornerback or was a third round pick and that was kind of my argument was everyone else on the executive committee were kind of uh pro bowl caliber players and were uh all 10 8 9 year players and my argument was that the executive committee wasn't representative of the body and we needed somebody to represent um the guy who wasn't a first-round pick and the guy who isn't a starter and the guy who's only been in the league for a couple of years. And and uh, it worked. I got elected to the executive committee. And, and from there, I think my – my it's, it's I don't know, I'm trying to, to sound humble, but I think my, yeah. my work and my commitment from there kind of stood out and and I eventually made my way to, to um, president. Yeah, it's interesting you talked about kind of the non-star because uh, – I was in Green Bay last week talking to Aaron Rodgers, and he talked about, you know, getting a bigger role going forward. And we, you're, you've been involved with the NBA PA, and of course they have, you know, people like Matt, uh, LeBron James, Chris Paul, very involved. So, do you think that makes a difference if if you get the gravitas of say an Aaron Rodgers, or has Drew Brees been been at the table? Does the do you think I think that would make a difference? Yeah, absolutely. I think it does make a difference. Uh, however, with it's one of the, the things that uh, I, I certainly took from business school, and it's it's very obvious, but it's not something we think about. But one of the things is uh, that that there's a, a downside to everything. Right. So there's trade-offs essentially in, in in life. So you can't both work uh, 12-hour days and be like a super involved dad. So these are decisions that we all have to make. And I think the same thing is true about having a star on a team is that there, there are trade-offs that are having a star uh, on the executive committee because there are trade-offs that we make that having that guy there is super valuable and there has some gravitas, but it also uh, takes away when in times when you're talking to uh, the the body where it's like, well, Drew Brees' experience is not my experience if I'm a backup guard in the middle of Green Bay. So I, when Drew Brees is negotiating or when, whomever else, or LeBron James is negotiating, does he have my interests in mind? So it, it certainly cuts both ways. So we have to be aware of it and, and balance it as best we can. That's a great point. I mean, sports unions, when I teach sports law, it's, 
used to unions that are like engineers or steel workers all relatively the same stage except for seniority and sports unions are really an anomaly with that uh, a quick comment on the negotiation i want to get past this i don't want to spend a lot of time on this but we're now halfway through you're involved in the negotiation of the cba which is 10 years no opt-outs extraordinary length and here we are halfway through i'll just give you a clean slate what do you think's working what do you think's not working as we head to the second half of this deal? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a tough question and and yeah. kind of a impossible one to answer because uh, you when you ask what's working and what's not working, you're forcing me to like parse out and talk about these things individually when it really exists. None of none of them exist in a vacuum, and as you know, negotiations is all about gives and takes. So right. I think as a complete thing, it all works together and. It all works together and um, and creates a, an environment for the players that I'm comfortable with. It seems like the, the, the commissioner discipline gets so much attention. To me, that was always a sidelight. Uh, and I know right. now that <laughs> I know that owners would like it to be a big issue next time because they would leverage that for other gains. Right. Uh, when you went in, there was talk about we got to curb in Goodell, we got to rein in this power, he's jumped the shark. Right. But I, as I understand, it's sort of in the horse trading to get the deal done. That sort of went down the list. Is that a fair read on things? Um, I, I think it it did for some people and it didn't for other people. So for okay. for players um, from the Steelers, I know, or the example of a team that that didn't want the deal solely based on that. So I do think that the uh, difficult thing about negotiations like that is is that there there because there comes a, an 11th hour where decisions have to be made right. and that's a tough one to to miss games over to lose millions of dollars over and to give up like one of your most uh lucrative earning opportunities in your life like that's a tough one because it does affect so few players and even the players who it affect before it affects them they don't think like you never go into the season thinking i'm gonna be the one that's gonna be facing a discipline issue. It just seems to me that the problem is not so much allowing that to continue. The commissioner's always had that power going back to many commissioners. Since then, we've had just so many resources spent to overturn it, some with success with Ray Rice and Hardy and, and Peterson and Brady, the first Brady, but a lot with now we've sort of come up against circuit courts ruling against the NFLPA. So I guess... The question is, if I'm a union member, I see millions of dollars spent on legal resources about an issue that we didn't think was necessarily the most important issue. I guess I'm not looking for a comment other than does, does the union executive committee get involved in sort of uh, overseeing the legal costs and overseeing the direction that they want to take on these expenditures? Well, I think the important thing to, to remember in this stuff is that the union represents all of the players and they represent them fully when they need their representation. So picking and choosing when and where and how much to spend on any given issue, I think, is not not something that the union should do or ever does. When when um when there's an issue with the player and the players' association, then the union it's important to, to know that the union has your back no matter what the issue is. And I think that's that's the message being sent by the defense that the union or when the union spends those resources on, on issues that 
don't affect every single player because it does affect every single player in the long run. It does affect uh, the um, the circumstances under which they'll they'll continue to participate. You know, I've talked about this before, the power structure of the NFL versus the NFLPA. It's necessarily a tough one. I remember covering the negotiation, and I always referred to you guys as sort of playing goalie because uh, yeah. they were trying to claw back the 2006 agreement, which they obviously felt was too strong for the players, and basically playing defense against their claws. Uh, in that sense, I'm not one to jump on and say what a terrible deal it was. I do think some of the spending issues could have been done better, and I'm not really looking for you to defend or, or, or not defend, but the spending limits are only looked at every four years, and, and I think the percentage is 89%. To me, it's too long a time and it's too low to try to get these guys to spend their money because we know if not push, they won't. Right. I know. I, I think, well, that's not true for all teams. Right, if right. not push, they won't. I think there are a number of teams that, the salary cap is is inhibiting them, but I do understand uh, your point, and I think that you, you can always argue that the that the deal could be better. It's never going to be perfect, and I think that anyone who at the union leadership or players feel like the the deal is is working just right, I think then then they need to no longer be a part of the union because it's your responsibility to find ways to improve it. So I agree with you wholeheartedly there. Where I I think uh, this conversation that we've had a few times always ends up as we talk about like the power asymmetry. So I mm-hmm. think that there's, uh, when you think about it, there's only a few ways that you can affect change and on the CBA. And the most powerful one is to withhold your services. Right. And there just isn't, uh, you look at this hard number wise, there are 31 billionaires owning the teams and, and there are the players. And there is no way that the players can ever withstand a any sort of war of attrition to get the things that they want. So that that game of chicken isn't one that works necessarily. And then you kind of have the public uh, pressure. Maybe you can try to, which we are, we're both guilty of doing, the players in the league, you try to turn public opinion against you, uh, against the other side, and hope that that works. But the players somehow and. I mean, if we can get into this more deeply, but I always kind of feel like it's issues of um, race and class and sometimes jealousy. But the, the fans tend to fall on the side of of the owners, no matter whether it's a lockout or a strike. So that's yeah. a, another arena where the players seem to lose. And the players don't have the, the connections with media outlets or the, the ability to pressure the media outlets and journalists who want access to the ability to pressure them to cover the stories in a certain way. So players that are disadvantaged there also are the only place where I feel like there is some opportunity for players to get some some wins is uh, going the, the legal route and taking yeah. the league to court on certain issues. But as, as you know as well as I do, that uh, legal and political routes also can be influenced in, in different ways. So I think that there's just fundamentally this situation and it, it's it's weird to think of it this way but i would ar- argue that the auto workers union or coal workers union because their careers are so long and right. the what they stand to gain is so huge for sacrifice and that they the the um in many other unions the the um the league 
for for lack of a better word, but the the company is mm-hmm. in competition. They aren't a monopoly. So uh, for every day that they spend without employees, it actually hurts them more significantly than the NFL because there isn't uh, uh, another NFL out there that's making all the money while the NFL is gone. So I think that all those things created and that there is nowhere else for the players to go. Not only is there no other NFL in this country, there's no NFL anywhere else. And they've spent their whole lives training this, this specific skill to um, – I'm oh, sorry about that. I'm driving no worries. kids to um, to gymnastics, but yeah, there's no other place where you can sell that skill like the um, the uh, unless you want to be like I don't know. There's no other place where tackling and blocking is is valuable. So I don't know. It's a long way of saying that the power asymmetry is is deeply ingrained, and I'm not sure that there's a way to address it. I think that's a great point, and we just saw on Labor Day weekend hundreds and hundreds of players cut, and that's ultimately the problem. You have so many players wanting these jobs, and no other competition, no other place for them to go, and the owners know that. Um, Yeah, it creates a a difficulty for, I mean, I guess, I think it's considered a monopsony, maybe, the proper term. You got that from business school. There's only one place to work, (laughs) and and people don't think much about it because the players make a good amount of money you often get hit with like shut up and 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 go play but it it is a problem the power structure led by roger goodell you and i've talked about him you dealt with him in negotiations i dealt with him as a league executive and uh, i said this we talked on air once about i saw a different side of him that we see publicly um yeah when we had a player specifically a player named corin robinson who was uh, kicked out for a year, had alcohol issues. You know, I got calls from Roger Goodell saying, where's Corn? I want to talk to him. And then a surprise visit to Corn when he was out in Arizona. And I just thought, wow, there's a human side here. We have not seen that. And, in fact, we've seen more of a corporate, unrevealing, vague, bland self over these years. And I just sort of have this feeling like he could really do a lot for himself. By showing what you and I, you said, you can talk about seeing it at the bargaining right. table, but yeah. you can talk about that. And also, why do you think we're not seeing it? It's a strategic move from ownership to not have him show humanity. Yeah. I, I certainly agree. And, I mean, we, we do this with so many people where we just kind of boil them down to a caricature of themselves. So it's not just for, for um, the commissioner of the league, but I have its players and many other celebrities get kind of labeled as this or that because that's all we know of them and we forget that there's a whole another side of them they don't know and you and I have both been fortunate enough to see this other side of Roger which I know and I agree with this but I think that the um, I don't think the league had the foresight necessarily to, to see that as something that would be valuable as showing us that while you and I see it as valuable now right back then they were concerned uh, coming off of like the NBA was having issues with image of the players and making it difficult to sell. And then we had more and more um, uh, issues with the law that makes it difficult to, for, to, to sell the league to corporate partners. So that's where they had that. And what they care about is making those corporate partners feel comfortable and middle America feel like they're watching something that is, that is wholesome, no matter how dangerous the game is. And, and uh, what makes Middle, middle America comfortable and those corporate partners comfortable is the idea that there is a there is an adult in charge for lack of better terminology is that they believe that that 
credit for getting that, that image of strength and like this guy has control is much more valuable. And I think that they're they're probably right. While showing a, a warmer, softer side might make you and I like them a little bit more. It's not going to make cores want to sign over uh, a billion dollars. Well, and again, it doesn't help the public view when we see the discipline issue applied haphazardly, too soft for Ray Rice, too soft for Josh Brown, too harsh for Tom Brady, too harsh for all these other Ben Roethlisberger. But he would help himself with that public image. But I think what you and I are pointing out is it's not the constituency. It really isn't. I mean, the constituency is ownership, sponsors, being strong and having that sort of iron chin that he does. That, I mean, that's that's much more valuable, and uh, I think that we lose sight of thinking that they care what we think. <laughs> they don't care what we think. They care what the, the, the money thinks, and the money thinks that a strong commissioner and a league that appears to be under control is, is what's, um, what's important. In our final few minutes, I know you got to run. The, the idea of power now coming from the player side, when we saw Kaepernick make his initial protest – I said one thing right then, and I think you agree that this is not the end. And this, there will be more. And you right. can have any feeling you want about whether it's good, bad. He wasn't the guy to do it. You know, it's great when right. the NBA guys stood up at the ESPYs, but here's a guy who actually did more than stand up and talk. He started something, and I think he tapped into something. We may see this all year, and obviously we're seeing it in other, other sports as well. You wrote about this. You agree, I, I would presume, with that thought. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that he's he's tapped into something, and what he's done, as as much as he's been criticized, has been more powerful than I think any of the other more recent acts. And I think that the idea that people are going to be jumping on board and also I'm um, showing him support by doing the same demonstration is just a credit to that to that powerful movement. So I mean, it, it, these things are obviously very thorny, but I, I'm proud of him and support anybody who. Uh, is willing to make sacrifice. I mean, that's that's essentially what we started this whole conversation of talking about it. Right. How important it is for people to make sacrifices when they have some power. They're willing to make the sacrifices to advance. Um, be it a group of players on the union, or be it uh, um, racial groups, or the country as a whole. That stuff's important. And, and I think I think Colin falls into that category. And those type of people are always ridiculed at the time. So uh, I don't think that he's surprised and he shouldn't be surprised. But if this if this does turn out to be like uh, a second kind of civil rights movement, like this whole era, not just Colin Kaepernick, right. but if 50, 50 years from now we can look back and say that some gains were made, Colin Ka- Kaepernick will be a footnote in my mind. Uh, he may not be like the Martin Luther King that we look back and say that, that guy was the movement, but I think he'll be a footnote. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, I don't know, Rosa Parks. Would that be a reasonable yeah. parallel? I don't know. She, she, was, she was involved in NAACP, so maybe that's not a good <laughs> parallel. But but he, I think he would be someone whose name is mentioned as being one of the biggest catalysts because it's something, words are one thing, but action's another. And, and that action and symbols and imagery, as we all know, that, that imagery is so important and the imagery that he presented as as um, striking as it is made people stop and listen and I think it it was important and valuable you I said he tapped into something you agreed right away you have a better sense than I do what is that thing he tapped into is it racial is it a feeling of powerlessness is it a feeling of just 
resentment about what's going on in this country? Yeah, I mean, I think it is uh, definitely a, it's a feeling that we can all relate to. I think right now the face of it is um, it's racial, but I do think it's a feeling of powerlessness and being ignored. I think that's at, at any point in our lives, and I think that, frankly, that's you can ascribe a lot of the success of the the, the Trump movement mm-hmm. to that same thing. It's, it's a group of people who are feeling ignored and feeling that nothing is here for them and, and no one is concerned about them and it's the the one top one percent and there's too much uh too much concern for like uh political correctness and there isn't anything left for for my group and i think that's what you can ascribe the same emotion to that and it's so interesting that they so often end up on the opposite side of these sort of conversations because it's it's often the same thing that's motivating them and i think it's it's whether you believe it's true or, or anyone believes that the concerns are true or not, the concerns are there and the emotions are there and the actions are there. So they need to be dealt with no matter. And again, to, to continue with the political analogy, whether anyone believes that that the middle class white male is, is being disenfranchised, whether they believe it to be true or not, doesn't matter. The fact that enough of them believe it mm-hmm. to be true is, is what needs to be addressed. So, uh, not that I've heard very many people arguing that um, black people are disenfranchised, uh, but I'm not sure that that it that it matters honestly for for the movement. Obviously, it matters for the sake of our society. But if people feel and the the relationship analogy has been thrown around a lot when talking about this, like uh, how people being concerned with how a, a spouse or a girlfriend or something like that feels. And I think that's it's a it's a sticky analogy, but I think I, it kind of makes sense in that it it doesn't matter whether it's true or false. It matters how they feel and how that feeling makes them behave. And I think that in this case, the feeling of being being disenfranchised or ignored or whatever could could uh, materialize with a, a Trump presidency, or it could materialize with riots, or it could materialize with innocent people being killed and those those things all those things have happened and they they frankly need to be addressed and no no one can deny that it's really interesting you brought up the opposite sort of uh spectrum of trump because i absolutely have used the same words as him describing what's going on he's tapped into something he has found a core of something and this came out with kaepernick it is the powerless it is the ignored it is Everyone's taking care of but us. It's that feeling. And yeah. I, I, I guess my final thought on Kaepernick is that the NFL, we criticize them for being heavy-handed on everything, but I really thought they handled this quickly and quietly, saying players are encouraged but not required to stand great and let it go. Now, yep. having done that, they're going to have other players to deal with. Uh, It's going to be interesting to me to see. We've seen sort of Rex Ryan, Jeff Fisher talk about how important it is. If there's teams that frown on this, because now we go from league to teams, and I'm going to be interested in watch if any of these coaches really sort of step out and say that players shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I would be interested to see that too, and I think that they're more than welcome to say what they want to say, but I would be 
I don't, I don't know the word for the amount of anger that will boil inside me if any coach took some action against a player for uh, trying to use a platform to peacefully address an issue of social justice. Like, I, I, I hope it doesn't go to that level. I know I've been hearing that the, the hockey guy, the coach of the hockey mm-hmm. team, has said some things right. like that. And I understand that his son is an Army Ranger and he has special feelings for um, the, the anthem. Well, I guess I don't, he, doesn't, he doesn't have special feelings for the anthem. His feelings for the anthem are different than other people's. And uh, I just think that what he said is just, I don't know, I, I feel like a lot of people have been saying that people who oppose it is un-American, so I don't want to stick with, with that because I don't want the the power of what I'm trying to say to lose meaning and like, right. and what's become a cliche, but I, I don't know how else to term, to term what he's saying as, and I know it sounds kind of like counterintuitive to say that someone saying you must stand for the American national anthem is un-American, but there's nothing more un-American. I know on the, the outside the lines piece that we did, I, I mentioned uh, the Boston Tea Party, like many of the events, uh, the founding of this nation were built on protests, like, right. <laughs> and the Boston Tea Party was, uh, though very aggressive, a nonviolent protest. And I'm not sure would would the torts of that day or Jeff Fisher or whomever of that day been opposed to that. There were people who were opposed to that then, and they lost. So I, I just don't understand how you can... There were people back then who said, well, we are a British colony, and we must follow the laws of British colonies, which makes perfect sense, but that's just not that's just not the the core of America. That's not who we are. It's not who we've ever been. Yeah, and I think that whole, this whole podcast really speaks to this sort of when you started in the union, serving more than yourself for the collective good yeah. and speaking out, and the word you use, sacrifice. Colin Kaepernick yeah. has made sacrifice. Now people can question good or bad or racist or not right. racist, all those things, but he has sacrifice and. As we keep saying, he started something. Yep. This, this has been great. This is really good. Yeah, I mean, it, it's nice for two people who uh, can talk about open and honest issues that are out there yeah. and important to talk about. Thanks so much, Tony. I appreciate it. I we'll appreciate have you back it. soon. Can I say one last thing? This just kind of brings to mind this, yes. like how happy I am with my decision to come to ESPN because there are lots of voices, but I, I sometimes feel that even the players who are at ESPN, sometimes we all just fall into these kind of comfortable places of criticizing players and right. and and kind of repeating the same cliche. So I I was happy when you and I kind of became friends because I think you come at it from a different perspective, and I'm pushing myself, and I I, I will task you with the responsibility as I task a lot of my friends with is to call me out when I start sounding like everybody else because that is is problematic. So thanks for doing what you're doing, and thanks for having me on, and I can't wait to do it again. We will do it again. Now I, I will uh, demand the same from you. <laughs> if I start <laughs> oh, yeah, sounding like not, every I'm other not, I'm guy, not <laughs> we got a deal. All right, man, thanks. Thanks, Dominique. Talk soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also get additional insider insight by listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, Fantasy Feast, Even Money, and College Draft Podcast, all at rostucker.com or wherever podcasts are found.